Hello, my name is Nathan Foster, and I'd like to welcome you once again to the Renovari Weekly Podcast. This week, I'd like to share a talk from Dallas Willard. It was done back in 2005 on a Sunday morning after a Renovari conference at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church in California. In this recording, John Ortberg interviews Dallas about a variety of topics related to worship. There's some really good teaching in here. He covers the Lord's Prayer, confession, giving, Jesus as teacher, and how we can be about the business of blessing. Enjoy. About 15 years ago, I reached a point where I just felt so frustrated because I had grown up in a Christian home and I was doing church ministry, but I felt like I, I don't know how to grow. And I want to know God better, and I think there's got to be something more, but I don't know how to pursue it. And uh, then I heard about this book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, by this guy named Dallas Willard. And I can still, I could take you to the chair on the plane going from Chicago to Los Angeles where I read that book. And right at the beginning, in the preface, Dallas writes uh, that his thesis is that it really is possible to become like Christ if we're willing to do one thing. Here's the quote coming up. By, if we're willing to follow him in the overall style of life he chose for himself, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his Father. And when I read those words, that it really is possible, transformation really is possible, and that there is a way, this wasn't just somebody talking about it, but there was a way, uh, I read that book, I've probably read that book seven or eight times. Nothing outside of the Bible, no book has influenced me the way that that one has. And then I found out that Dallas lived just a few miles away from where I lived in Simi Valley. He lives in Box Canyon. And so I called him up out of the blue and started haranguing him over the phone. And he finally said, well, why don't you come over to the house and harangue me in person? And um, <laughs> so I did. And I... Uh, one of the reasons for my faith is that there is a man like Dallas Willard who knows God the way that he does and sees things the way that he does. And um, so I have been very eager to be able to introduce, you know, we're studying about how Jesus can be our rabbi in this series. And Dallas has been kind of a rabbi for many folks, including me. And um, so I've very been looking forward a lot to being able to introduce you to our church and Dallas uh, came out for this Renovare conference we had taught on Friday night. All day yesterday, we started at 8.45 teaching and went through the services last night and is here for all three services this morning. And he's getting old. He's in his 70s now. So would you all say thank you and just bring a really warm welcome to Dallas. <laughs> Uh, thank you, John. Uh, after you're introduced like that, you're afraid to say anything. You're bound to ruin your reputation. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. I would say a word about the format. Did you all notice that you were not given an order of service or bullet when you came in? And you all liked that. That was kind of an adventure and freedom and not knowing is kind of a cool thing. Well, the reason is we've, we're thinking um, every week we gather to worship, but we don't get much help or coaching in terms of how do we use worship. Um, how do we, when we come together, think and act and sing and pray and give and so in a way that really will connect us with God? We don't get much coaching in that. And I don't know of anybody to do that better than Dallas. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. This will be a very unstructured service and very unscripted, and it may get a little bumpy in some transitions. But we're just going to uh, try to walk together through how we use worship and just maybe 
our worship and experience of God will never be the same. Uh, and so Debbie's going to lead us in a song to kind of enter into worship. And Dallas, would you just pray for us before mm-hmm. we sing that song and help us to enter a spirit of worship? Now, our gracious Heavenly Father, you are here, and we ask you to speak in each of our hearts and minds to teach us what we need to know and to show us how that we can use the things that are available to us to lift ourselves, our hearts, and our minds to you and keep you in all your glory fixed in the center of our lives. We ask it in the name and honor of Jesus and in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Dallas, uh, we need a great God. We need a great big God. And... uh, you know, there's people, we gather today, and people coming from all different kind of circumstances, and some may be beaten down mm-hmm. by life. And then we come to do this thing called worship, and uh, we need help to understand it. I think for a lot of people in a lot of churches now, if they hear the word worship, they just think singing. <laughs> and, uh, of course, some people don't sing good. And um, <laughs> some people are not real moved by music. Yes. So uh, when we come to worship... How should we do it? How do we do it in a way that, where we're not just treading water, but that helps us actually connect with God? Yes, we, uh, that's extremely important to understand. And you can actually sing and not worship. And you can worship and not sing. <laughs> and uh, so we just need to think about what worship is, really. Uh, worship is the intentional turning of the mind to God and ascribing to God all of the greatness and goodness and glory that belongs to him. You can do that sitting perfectly silently. Uh, You can do that dancing with joy. You can do it singing great hymns. You can do it sitting with a friend, holding a hand, praying, thinking about your life together. The basic idea in worship is the intentional turning of your mind to God. And describing to him all of the good things and great things that you have learned about him. And perhaps even your heart says ought to be there if you haven't learned it. These usually fall into three categories. One is nature. Uh, listen to the hymns that, and the songs that we're singing. You'll see these. Nature. And the other is redemption. And the third is personal relationship to you. And those three things will show up in your thoughts, in your songs, hopefully in your sermons or your teachings. That would be making the time of talking a worship time. And uh, it's uh, very important for us to understand that worship isn't just a thing we do in church. Uh, Worship is an atmosphere in which you can learn to live. Now, our church services should help us because we need help. And really one way of describing worship is to say it is orientation or reorientation because we have to be uh, kind of spread out in life over so many different things, many of which are, are, are really quite trivial, but we may have wasted a lot of enthusiasm on them. What, what do you do uh, when you're outside of worship services? What do you do just in ordinary life that helps you live in that way? You, you talked about yeah. that idea of setting God always before us. That's right. What do you do to help you do that? Well, those are wonderful words. David learned those, and that's Psalm 16:8. I've set the Lord always before me. 
On the other hand, there is the refusal to retain God in our knowledge. So what we learn to do to live in an atmosphere of worship is we learn to pay attention to the contents of our mind and to make sure that in our mind are the words and the images that lift God up and place him right in the center of where we are so that in any moment we are conscious of God. And you can do that in uh, by breaking the old bad habits of thought, turning off the radio, stop worrying about who won the game, and so forth and so on. Just and because USC won the game. Well, you know, they don't always win. And, it, you know, down there they say something blasphemous. They say God is a Trojan. I had no idea. Well, I'll tell you, he's way above that. <laughs> and the, the important thing, you know, is to understand that this is for our good. See, any time you, you pass by something of great beauty or value or goodness or strength, and you don't acknowledge it for what it is, you rob yourself. God is not a cosmic uh, egotist that's just waiting for you all to show up here and say good things about him. He doesn't need that. He has a wonderful, sufficient community called the Trinity. And here are these magnificent beings, two one to be many and two many to be one, that are just lost in the glory of the goodness of their life. Now, we're invited to be a part of that. In fact, we were created to be a part of that. And then to extend that in the world in which we live. The primary way we do that is simply by keeping God in our knowledge, acknowledging him for what he is, and drawing from him the things that we need for our life. Orientation is crucial. It's our need, not God's, that rules here. We desperately need to worship the right thing, to have the right thing constantly before our minds. You have uh, a quote in... Uh, I think this is from the Spirit of the Disciplines, about how to enter into worship, especially when we come together like this. Um, Holy delight and joy is the great antidote to despair. The great antidote to despair. And is a wellspring of genuine gratitude, the kind that starts out at our toes and blasts off from our loins and diaphragm through the top of the head, flinging our arms and our eyes and our voice upward toward our good God. But now we're Presbyterian. So, <laughs> but you, you know. can still put your body into it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to sing a couple songs about the greatness of God. Just say a quick word about how do we enter that with our mind and with our bodies in a way, because sometimes it feels awkward or... or we feel foolish in doing it. Yes, there, but there is a, a fascinating interaction between our minds and our bodies. And putting our bodies into it, like raising your hands, which you do naturally on occasions of joy. Barry Bonds hits a home run. Ah, there you yeah. go. See? And uh, you, you naturally, that's up, is toward God. And now, if we can do that at the baseball game uh, is certainly a good thing here because it's natural. As we do that, by the way, that lifts our minds, and there is an interaction here. And we sing hymns, and 
we kneel in prayer and we do the things that we do with our bodies in worship because that helps our minds. And then, of course, uh, the mind helps the body. And pretty soon uh, you have your whole being caught up in the worship and adoration of God. There's nothing like that that will stabilize you for good from the, from the level of your health to the things that you're choosing about what you're going to do and your attitudes towards others around you. I'll tell you, worship just transforms everything. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. It's an amazing thing how um, when we just worship like that, uh, our minds get different and our bodies get different. And when yes. we think about how big God is, then problems get smaller yes. and um, our selfishness gets smaller. But we cut ourselves off from that so much. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, the, one of the great things about the Psalms is they're so realistic. And in some of the Psalms, David talks about how his kidneys praise the Lord. I suspect well, someone's know. kidneys here has been praising the Lord of that song, you know. You can feel it. And, and David, of I'm course, not sure what to do with that, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I think let all that is saying. within me praise his holy name. Yeah. That's your toenails and your kidneys. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we do uh, each week when we come together to worship is we say the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Mm-hmm. And it's a great thing, but because we do it every week, like anything else, it can become kind of routine or rote. Yes. And we need help. Uh, as we're saying it, to, to inhabit the words, to not mm-hmm. to be mindful in them. Yes. So, and, and you have thought about that. I know the Lord's Prayer is an important part of your worship just each day. So could you kind of walk us through how to think about the Lord's Prayer? Well, a really important issue is to keep the words alive. And uh, we need to do that when we come together. And actually, that's one of the benefits of not having a card that tells you what's going to happen in the worship uh-huh. service. Yeah. You have to stay so you awake. recommend that? You think I recommend good it. Yes, I yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that way people will stay awake. Now, what's going to happen next? <laughs> when, we, uh, when Jesus was, uh, he, he led his prayer life in the presence of his disciples. And they were tremendously impressed with it. And so you may recall, they said, while he was praying on one occasion, they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So what we have in the way of the Lord's Prayer is actually our prayer. It's the prayer the Lord gave us, and it's a teaching about what you do when you pray. And we have to be very careful and keep it alive. Um, my family were, were very devout, and we prayed the Lord's Prayer every morning at breakfast. We prayed extemporaneously at the other meals, but it comes kind of rote, and you just sort of rattle it off, and you don't get the meaning, and your heart isn't lifted up. And so we have to make a point of putting our thoughts into the prayer. One way of doing that is to change the words a little bit and put them in ways that might mean more to us uh, today. For example, you start out with the form of address. And by the way, when you pray, do address the Lord. Um, speak to you know like you would to someone else. Uh, prayer is talking to someone. That's why Jesus always looked up into heaven when he prayed, is because that's that's where the one was that he was talking to. And so you start out with a form of address: Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, understand that when the Bible talks about heaven like that, it doesn't mean something that's a way off. It's talking about something that's right here. 
around you. It's talking in the first place about the atmosphere. That was the first heaven in, the, in biblical terms. And so that phrase, our Father who art in heaven, you could say that our Father always near us, always present to us. Now we're standing before God. We have sought his face, as the Bible says. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed doesn't really do much for most people, except at Halloween or (laughs) the Gettysburg Address or something like that. Here's what he's saying. May your name be treasured and loved. May your name be cherished and loved. We know what it's like to do that, don't we? We cherish my little granddaughter, our little granddaughter, Larissa. That name is sweet to me. I cherish it. I love it. And I don't separate it from that little girl. Uh, and the first request in the Lord's Prayer is that the name of God would be cherished and loved. Thy kingdom come. That means may your rule be completed in my life. May what you want done in my life Come right around me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where I am, all around me, as it is in heaven. Now, you need to dwell in those phrases. And sometimes you can spend a long time just in one phrase. That's a good one to spend time in. May your will be done all around me today and day to day as it is done in heaven. How is it done in heaven? Pretty good. Wouldn't you say Yes. And so we're inviting that to come into our lives. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the things we need for today. It isn't just bread. We were, we're asking for all of our provisions and we're trusting him for it. And very importantly, we are asking him just for today because he's going to be here tomorrow. If your children were found stuffing cornflakes into their pockets because they thought you might not provide them tomorrow, you would be worried about them, wouldn't you? See, that daily bread, what we need for today. I'm counting on God. I tell that to them. Forgive us our debts. Debt is, uh, is um, not a... Com- doesn't say it. All that needs to be said there. Um, Methodists say trespassers. Presbyterians are debtors. Trespassers. You see, those words are narrowed down for us. So I suggest you, God, please forgive us for the ways we have imposed upon you. As we are forgiving everyone who imposes on us in any way. Try that on. Work it through your mind. Think about what it means. Forgive us our debts as we forgive us, as we forgive our debtors. The next two lines are so um, simple that you find translators struggling with them often. The older versions are just quite right. Um, Lead us not into temptation. That means keep us out of trouble. 
Keep us out of trouble. Uh, Deliver us from everything that's bad. Now, I hope you're not above asking that. Many people kind of feel they are. But remember, this is a prayer of a child to their father. And if you've forgotten to be a child, you need to relearn it. So you just say simply to the father, Lord, keep us out of trouble and save us from everything bad. And then the grand conclusion gives the basis for the prayer, really. Because yours is the kingdom. And you might try that as you're the one who's in charge. You're the one who's in charge. You have all the power. The glory is yours forever. And that's just the way we want it. See, now, amen doesn't say a lot, does it? Sometimes it just means, okay, we're done. Or over and out, 1040. It really means something much more than that. And a good way of paraphrasing it is paraphrasing it is to say that's just the way we want it. Now, if you are caught up in the prayer, you may want to say something like whoopee. And I guarantee you, you try that. You may have to may have to do it in private. You may be a little self conscious. <laughs> We've never done that here before. But I guarantee you, you can work up to doing it here. (laughs) Well, let's do this. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer, but we'll try it in a different way today. Uh, Dallas, would you lead us in it? And uh, do that by just saying it phrase by phrase, only Mm -hmm. uh, in a paraphrase, in those kind of fresh words. And you say it out loud, and then we'll repeat it kind of slowly together, really thinking about what it is that we're praying. And if it would help you to close your eyes, close your yeah, eyes. The, if you do, you, that's fine. You can close your eyes. But by the way, you don't have to close your eyes. If you want to, you can look up. That's okay, too. Our Father always near us. Our Father always near us. May your name be cherished and loved. May your name be cherished May your rule be completed in us. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done all around us. May your will be done all around us. Just like it is done in heaven. Just like it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need for today. Give us today the things we need for today. And forgive our impositions on you. And forgive our impositions on you. Just as we are forgiving anyone who imposes on us. Just as we are forgiving anyone who imposes on us. Please don't lead us into troubles. Please don't lead us into troubles. But deliver us from everything bad. But deliver us from everything bad. For you're the one in charge. For you're the one in charge. And the power is all yours. Power is all yours. And the glory too. And the glory too. Forever. Forever. (laughs) Wonderful. That's right. That's right. Now when you get it, don't you just want to say whoopee? Yes. And that's worship.
That's worship. See, you're admiring God. You say, oh, this is a wonderful arrangement. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think one of the things that blocks us from worship is we think it's something that we're supposed to do, but we don't think of God as this really wonderful person. Boy, that's a burden, isn't it? Say that again. Say that again one more time. We need to get the tension in that. I, I always tell you to say it again. Well, but so. John... <laughs> Uh, we think that worship is something we're supposed to do, but we don't think of God as a wonderful person. That's it. That's really true. And we've, we haven't been taught how to do it. Yeah. And we haven't been taught that this is intentional. No, I think for so many of us, we come to church, and in our culture, it's like we go to movies, we go to plays, we go to concerts, and we just think of it as one more thing we Go to to no, see, and, and then we'll talk about it. How was worship today? Right. We're going to go consume the service. Yeah. Well, we don't have consumer problems here. Well. But, uh, <laughs> uh, now, I want to talk about another part of worship, uh, and we touch on it in the Lord's Prayer when we ask God to forgive us our impositions. And this is a quote from um, Renovation of the Heart. We must accept the fact that unconfessed sin is a special kind of burden or obstruction in the psychological as well as the physical realities of the believer's life. And, of course, the unbeliever's life, too, everybody's yes, life. Yes. The discipline of confession and absolution removes that burden. And everybody in this room, you know, whatever we think about God, all of us have this sense, you know, things are not in me the way that I want them to. I am not the person that I want to be. And... Uh, but we all, we, we carry that with us and we try yes. to hide it or we try to manage it or make it look better than yeah. it is. What is this, the discipline of confession and how do we actually do that in a way that brings relief and release? Well, when we don't come up to our own expectations and certainly when we don't come up to what we believe God expects of us or others expect of yeah. us, our loved ones around us, then we have to... We have to find some way of dealing with that. And one of the ways that we find of dealing with it is to try to hide it. And that's a sign that we are really taking charge of our life and that we are trying to manage it and we are unwilling to turn it over to God. And uh, that's where the burden comes in. And even for your blood pressure and um, how your kidneys are doing. Kid kidneys. <laughs> Your brain, too. It carries that burden. And it, it really does. Uh, you, you can uh, invest a huge amount of energy in that. Sometimes the burdens are false burdens, but it doesn't really matter at this point. And what you do when you confess is you open that up to God. You, open it, you, know, you, may, you may need some help from a friend or a pastor or someone, but often you don't. And confession is just saying to God, this is how it is. This is who I am. And I'm sorry. And I'd like to resume my intimacy with you in a way that there's nothing between us. And I'm walking with you, and you're carrying my burden and I'm rejoicing in the life that I have in you, wherever you are now, at work or home or church or wherever it may be. So confession 
is a matter of simply opening our lives to God and counting on his acceptance and his will and power to accept that. It strikes me just now in listening to you talk about it, what a simple thing it is, that you don't have to work up a lot of emotion or yes. uh, go through something. It's really a, a pretty simple thing. That is a very simple thing, uh, but only if you've surrendered. I think sometimes I get this picture in my mind that if I've done a bad thing, I have to make God think I'm really, 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 really sorry yes. to get him to forgive me. Right. I, I think this is one of the deep teachings of the prodigal son, the story that Jesus told, is that the father did not require any song and dance. In fact, it was the son who had the song and dance in yeah. mind. He had it all planned out. See, he was still not giving up. He was still thinking how he could manage his life, this time by managing his father a bit. And that's the project we have to give up on confession. You know, it's said that confession is good for the soul and bad for the reputation. And that's the point. (laughs) See, because actually reputation is bad for you. You have to put your reputation ah, in the that hands of God. Reputation is actually very bad for you. You have to put that just, just stop in the for hands a minute of there. God. Let's just think about that for a minute. Because I'm, reputation is bad for you. Yes. It's manning the facades. And we just, especially in our fellowship, it is one of the things that we should be aiming at. And I know you have wonderful small groups in your church, one of the things that we should be aiming at would be to grow to the point to where we never pretend. And that takes the load off. And confession, of course, is a big breakthrough with pretending. And many times it's the way that God breaks through to us. I, a wonderful Presbyterian missionary in China of the last century, well, now in the century before last, uh, and uh, his name was Jonathan Goforth. Uh, it's hard to imagine how he could have been anything but a missionary with that name, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, there were tremendous revivals in China among the missionaries and uh, the population. And they all came when the missionaries first broke down and confessed things like they did not love one another the things that they had said about one another, done to harm one another. And over and over you will see in the lives of the church and Christians how the breakthrough comes at confession. And the reason is very simple. It's just because at confession I give up. We're going to take a moment to do that right now. Debbie's going to lead us in a song. And Debbie, I'm going to ask if you would, the first time through, would you just sing it alone? And uh, while she is singing that, uh, it may be that you just want to confess to God. And uh, there's something you've been hiding or a burden you've been carrying, and you just real simply lay it at his feet. Uh, So do that while she sings it through the first time. Then we'll all sing it through together the second time and do that as an expression of our confession. And then, Dallas, at the end of it, Mm -hmm. if you take a moment and... And just pronounce that word of forgiveness over us. Remind us that we don't, we're not stuck with confession, but that it is well between us and God. Can I say to you, on behalf of the Father, whose heart is revealed in the story of the prodigal, you remember all the Son had to say, Father, I have sinned.
and the arms of the Father around him prevented him from going on. That's enough. So I am glad to tell you that our sins are forgiven and fellowship is renewed as we turn to the Father in openness. That's worth a whoopee. That's good news. Yes, it is. Um, another uh, part of our worship, which we're going to do now, I'll ask if those who are receiving the offering would come and begin to receive it. And um, again, we do this every week. And uh, some people uh, may get mechanical about it. Some people may be kind of scared of the whole giving thing. Our money gets mm-hmm. so tied to uh, our sense of identity or security, especially here where we live. That can be so deeply true. Um, so talk to us a little bit about this part. Why is this important? Why is this part of living in the kingdom? And how do we use giving as part of our worship and getting close to God? Well, giving fits in with our worship in the following way, that by our giving we acknowledge the worthiness of what God is doing and that we get a chance to participate in it. Now, I'm sure all of you know God is not in need And so we don't give because he's in trouble or his work is in in trouble. But we give, and not just in church, but giving, like worship, is an atmosphere in which we live. It's a part of love. Uh, It honors the God that we worship by accepting his invitation to be a part of what he's doing. Your money is a part of your kingdom. You have a kingdom. The kingdom is the range of your effective will. God made you that way, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And now these are little ways, giving and prayer, are really the two main ways that we begin to take steps into the kingdom of God. We come through faith in Jesus, and he receives us and gives us new life, And then prayer and giving are opportunities for us to participate in what God is doing. So it's our opportunity. It's the same way with worship generally. It's basically for our benefit, not for God's. And giving is the same way. And we can learn to live in an atmosphere of giving that will then allow those things that others have to give to come to us. And so there's a great... um, Circle of giving, if you wish. And Jesus talked about this in Luke 6 where he says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Now why is that? Is that a bargain like we often hear talked about on TV where if you, you give some money, you get so much back. No. It's when you enter into the life of giving, you are put in a cycle of God's abundance. When you give, you affirm God's abundance. You're saying when you put that money in the plate, God will take care of me. And that act of trust puts you in the circle of the kingdom. As Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Men shall pour out in your lap, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And you know, when you open the cereal box, there's a lot of air in there, right? 
Well, that hasn't been pressed down, shaken together, and running over. They just put it in there and didn't shake it and closed the lid, so you get to buy a lot of air. But that isn't the way God is. And when we enter the cycle of giving in the kingdom of God, we experience abundance. It isn't tit for tat. It's far bigger than that. It's living a certain kind of life. And that's how it all fits together with worship. And if you really are worshiping God, you're going to be uh, a joyful giver. Now, uh, we, we have a time of learning. We have a time when the sermon is preached. And we have been going through uh, this fall a series about Jesus uh, as the one who can be our master. Yes. And there's words that Dallas wrote in his book, Renovation of the Heart, that when I read them, they were very moving. Uh, and you talk in there about how all of us learn how to live from somebody. We, we, yes. we don't really have it. We don't have a choice about whether or not we will have a teacher or a rabbi. Uh, we will be someone's disciples. The question is just who. And it's usually our parents at first, and then maybe right. teachers or movie stars or bosses or something. Mm. But you write this. It is one of the major transitions of life to recognize who has taught us, mastered us, and then to evaluate the results in us of their teaching. This is a harrowing task, and sometimes we just can't face it. But it can also open the door to choose other masters, possibly better masters, and one master above all. Guess who? <laughs> It sounds like Jesus. Sounds to me. like Jesus. To would me. you take? We, we have to close in a moment. We're going to sing a song about Jesus. But would you take a moment and, you know, maybe there's there's folks here who have been, who made Jesus their master a long time ago, and maybe some people who don't know about him or are mad at him or don't think he really was anything much at all. Why why should someone make Jesus the master of their life? Well, basically, we don't want to make a mystery of this, though there are a lot of mysteries in our relationship to God. It's a very simple thing. Jesus knows what's going on. And when we learn from him, he puts us in touch with reality. And that reality is primarily the kingdom of God, which is what he talked about more than anything else. I often have this experience I, uh, a weekend or so ago. Uh, after a talk, uh, a young lady came up, a young lady who was no longer so young and had just been through an awful lot of stuff, you know. And the tangle of life becomes so unbearably complicated when you're trying to run it on your own. Uh, it's the worst fish line experience you can have is trying to unravel that. And as so often the case, um, the solution really is, as I said to her, what you need to do is to devote some time to just understanding what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. That's really the main thing he talked about, even before and after his resurrection, is the kingdom of God. And that's what he mainly has to teach us about, is the reality of the kingdom and how to interact with it. And the way you interact with it is you just put your confidence in who he is, believe that everything that is presented about him in the scripture and among his people 
central teachings is true. And his sayings are expressions of how we can live in the kingdom of God. So, for example, uh, when we think about blessing, he taught us to live by blessing even those who curse us. We have plenty of opportunities to do that. Probably if you go to work on Monday, uh, you'll have opportunities. Anyone who drives in this culture has many <laughs> opportunities to bless those who curse them. Maybe we could just close with that. We're going to sing this song in a moment, and then we'll have a blessing. And we always we end the service with a blessing. So could you say a word about what does it mean to bless, and how do we receive a blessing and give a blessing? Well, that's one of the things that we learn in the kingdom of God, and worship lays the foundation for all of this. Because it is in the abundance of God to us that we're able to act out the kingdom. And a primary way of acting that out and knowing its reality is blessing. And here's what blessing is. Blessing is a very simple thing. You bless something when you will its good explicitly under the invocation of God. You bring something, you bring God down for the blessing, the goodness of something. Now, you know... Just think about So Suppose someone curses you. They don't need a curse. They need a blessing, don't they? And we can train ourselves to do that. When you get up in the morning, start blessing things as soon as possible. Now remember, here's what blessing is. To bless something is to explicitly will its good under the invocation of God. And you can begin doing that with what, the moment you wake up. Bless God for the new day. Bless God you've got a car to drive. Bless God you have a place to go to work. Bless God for your associates and bless them. Just just begin. Out of the abundance of the kingdom, you will experience its reality. And it will solidify that attitude of worship that affects giving, that affects petition and praying. All of that comes into one picture. Um, it's been just such a rich, rich weekend. Can we take a moment and thank Dallas for his willingness to be here? Now, the best thing that can happen to you is that today you will know the movements of God with you in every thought you have and in every action you take. So watch for it. Watch for it. That's the kingdom of God. See? And may the Holy Spirit warm you and move you <laughs> within. May Christ walk with you and the presence of the Father over you. And may you know it and see it today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Whoopee. Good, you got it. <laughs> well, there you have it. The life and work of Dallas has been such an integral part of Renovare. But if you're not familiar with his work, he's written a number of books. John referenced the spirit of the disciplines and renovation of the heart. But maybe his sentinel work was the divine conspiracy. And since his passing new work from Dallas still being put together and published, there's much more to come. I've recently been reading Renewing the Christian Mind, which is a collection of essays, interviews, and talks, and found it to be a really helpful way to dip into some smaller pieces of Dallas's work. 
You can find out more about Dallas and some of his writings at dwillard.org. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.